today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. We deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus came and died in our place. We are all in Adam, subject to Adam's punishment, following the pattern of Adam, but Jesus was perfect where the first Adam failed. And then he died as a second Adam. He was cut off from God. He was punished for our sins. He bore the wrath of God and he died so that if we put our faith in him, we will be in him. And in him, we died. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Before Christ, your identity was in Adam, and the bloodline of Adam is deserving of spiritual death because of sin. The Bible says that through one man's trespass brought condemnation to all men in Adam. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, and by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We deserve death, but because of Christ, we're now a new creation. If you're not living a victorious Christian life, it may be because you don't believe your identity has changed. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for our continuing study entitled, I Am a Saint. What things hurt you the most to hear people say about you? So think about your identity, but then think about your worship. What are you worshiping? Are you worshiping maybe what other people think of you? The idea of a relationship, being successful, having an easy life? You're willing to sacrifice everything in your life just for the sake of it being easy? As you can see, the the book of Ephesians and this, this issue of identity gets at the core of who we are. And I'm praying, church, that we would have grace in the next few months, that as we walk through God's word, we would allow the Spirit of God to really rewire us a little bit, that we would allow ourselves to be honest with the Lord and with each other about, look, I really am finding my identity here. This is why this is so hard for me. The the, the fact that uh, I'm struggling at work is devastating me because that is my life. So our identity shapes us. But here's the good news. Second point is that Jesus reshapes us. And he begins by reshaping our identity. In Ephesians 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, we read an amazing phrase. Paul says he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So here's what's crazy. The people in Ephesus are called saints, even though we just saw that everybody in humanity is not good. And in fact, we've all committed idolatry by by worshiping something else instead of God. And Paul says to some group of people in humanity, you guys are saints, which means holy ones. So, okay, I'm sorry, did I miss something? We were corrupt and idolatrous and worthy of God's wrath. And then we get to the saints who are in Ephesus. So what is going on? Well, what I want to highlight is this phrase at the end of the sentence, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. This phrase occurs all over the book of Ephesians. And this is, what I'm going to argue is, this is what begins to, this is what does reshape our identity and begins to reshape it today. 
And this occurs again and again and again in Ephesians. Just in the first uh, chapter of Ephesians, verse 3 says that, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, that he's making known to, to us the mystery of his will which he set forth in Christ. Uh, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And it continues, in Christ, in him. You, that this, this is what Paul says is our identity. And that identity of being in Christ transforms everything about our lives. But for us, we're so individualistic as Americans, it's tough to, tough to get our heads around this. So this is a silly analogy, but just stick with me, which our church is used to that. I think every analogy I use is silly, and I just say stick with me. So one more time, this is silly, and stick with me. If you've ever seen uh, one of those old movies where it has castles and knights and stuff, and, and sometimes in those kinds of movies, castles and knights stuff, there's a scene where like one kingdom or, you know, Area picks a champion, and they tell the other group, pick a champion from your, your, your kingdom. And we're going to have these two guys fight, and whatever happens, that's what happens to the kingdoms. So rather than all of us killing each other, we're going to pick, like, I'm going to pick Danny and Eric, and you guys are just going to fight for your section of the auditorium. And if Danny wins, you guys get the donuts in the break room. And if Eric wins, you get the donuts in the break room. Right? But, but in these movies, usually it's not that. Usually it is... The kingdom is at stake. So if we win, we're going to take all of your property, burn everything down, and you guys are going to be our slaves, okay? And if you win, you get to do the same to us. And so when you're watching these two knights ride out and they're jousting each other, everything is at stake in what they do because you, in a sense, this is the, way, the language I'm going to use, you are in them. Your identity, your purpose, your really destiny is wrapped up in that person. And what they do affects your life. So what scripture says is that before Jesus, we were all on a team. We were all on team Adam, as it says in uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5, actually talks about this in detail. So we were all on team Adam, and this is what happens when you're in team Adam. You get up, you lose, it's over, and your life is destroyed, okay? So Adam goes, to, goes into war, Satan tempts him, he blows it, we're all in him, we're done, okay? I mean, it's, it's like being born and then finding out, well, why are we like this? Well, because your great-great-grandfather lost his jousting match. You're like, what? What is happening? But, but in a sense, what Scripture says is in Adam, Adam was a representative of humanity. And all of us would have made the exact same choice Adam did. And Adam, as our representative, chooses to rebel against God. But the good news of the gospel is this, that there is a new team called Team Jesus. And if we are on Team Jesus, the things that happen to Jesus happen to us. Romans 5 15 says this, for if many died through one man's trespass, meaning Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. So many died in Adam, 
but there's a new person that you can be in them, that Jesus Christ has done something. Verse 18 says what he's done. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men in Adam, so one act of righteousness, Jesus' death on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So here's, here's what this means. We deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus came and died in our place. We are all in Adam, subject to Adam's punishment, following the pattern of Adam, but Jesus was perfect where the first Adam failed. And then he died as a second Adam. He was cut off from God. He was punished for our sins. He bore the wrath of God, and he died so that if we put our faith in him, we will be in him. And in him, we died. Do you understand that? When Jesus dies on the cross, if you've believed in Christ and put your faith in Christ, when he bears the wrath of God, that is you, in a sense, if you are in him, you have borne the wrath of God, meaning that there's no penalty left for you. So if we go back to that, that analogy of the knights, not only has Jesus won the victory, he's first died our death. That the nation's sins doesn't mean somebody has to die, so he dies for them. But then he rises again and conquers sin and death. So both things have happened to us. We have died, we, have the, we had the penalty of our sin paid for, and we are victorious in his resurrection. So what does this, what does this mean for us? It means that for us as humans, as humanity, there is a way to switch teams, if you will. There is a way to be restored to God, to be restored to the source of our life and our identity. And the, the way we do this is not by doing 100,000 good deeds. It's not by going to church consistently for the next 20 years. It's by believing in Christ. You ever thought about that phrase, we believe in Jesus? See, for Paul, that phrase was was hardly ever used outside of Paul's writings. He came up, he, in essence, he, the Lord led him to create this phrase, in Christ, in him, in Jesus, to, to begin to explain how our great salvation works itself out. We say, look, I'm putting my faith in this champion who's taking the field, and what happens to him happens to me. I'm not going to kind of hold back. I'm not going to try to do my own thing. I'm not going to come up with a plan B to try to... St- you know, atone for my sins or be victorious because there is no plan B. There's only one plan and it's Jesus. And here's the good news, guys. If you have not believed in Christ up until today and maybe your identity is profoundly messed up, maybe you see, look, my life is a mess. It's because my identity is in something other than God. But I, I don't worship God. And, and in fact, I understand that that's idolatry and that because of that, it's game over. I I don't have a hope. I can't somehow pay God back for my idolatry. It's not going to happen. So I'm hopeless. Friends, it's not hopeless. What, What Scripture calls you to do is say, my faith is in Him. My faith is in Christ Jesus. And 
when he is my champion. I die in him and I'm raised to new life in him. That's the amazing truth of this passage is that people who should be defined as sinners and idolaters and, and people who messed up, people who have no hope, are called in the first verse of Ephesians, saints in Ephesus. See, Church, when, when God sees our church, if you are in Christ, we walk in with fears and failures and we've blown it in this area and that area and he speaks over us. Friends, you are saints in Christ. Not in yourself, right? You're not a holy person in yourself, but if you are in Christ, you receive this glorious identity as a saint. Now, I can be kind of like, okay, I sort of get that. I really want us to get it. We've got to really get this. So our area is predominantly Catholic, which means we have a lot of saints everywhere, right? Uh, I was amazed that they even sell saint candles at Target, which I was like, man, Target's like a national chain. I'm like, yep, there's a bunch of them. And, and you may have wondered at some point, if you didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, how do you become a saint? Well, Father James Martin summarizes the path to sainthood this way. First, this is... This is by a Roman Catholic father, so this isn't something I came up with. He, he sums it up this way. First, be a Catholic. Second, die. I like that point. That's funny. Third, a local devotion must grow up around your memory. So it'd be like if somebody passes away in the church and a bunch of us begin to just continue to still be fans of them and venerate them and, and sort of pray to them. That if Raoul's gone to be with Jesus, Raoul put in a good word for us with the big man. And so a, 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 a devotion grows up around the memory of that person. Then, this is scary, your life gets investigated. I mean, we're talking investigated. So they're going to get copies of your Google search history. They're going to get copies of the stuff you ordered from Amazon. They're going to get copies of your Netflix queue or whatever. I mean, this is, this is a real investigation. Talk to, your, talk to your neighbors, talk to your workplace. And then, if you make it, your local bishop sends your case to the Vatican. And then, in heaven, you, have, you need to pray for a miracle. So if you pray to, somebody prays to you and says, hey, I need you to pray for me, and you pray to the Lord, and the Lord does a miracle, then, step seven, the Vatican investigates the miraculous cure, cure with scientists. I'm not joking about that. They really do get scientists to go investigate the cure. Then, you need to perform another miracle. Okay? It's so not just once. You have to perform another one. And then after all that, there's a bunch of procedural stuff and votes and things and investigation and reports and things translated from Latin to English and English back to Latin. And then you become a saint at the total cost of $829,626. No, $829, that is the official teaching from a, summarized by a father about how you become a saint. Now, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, I'm not meaning to be disrespectful in any way. That, I think, is an accurate summation of the Catholic Church's teaching. Because with, with being a saint, there is an understanding that these people are holy, that the Lord sees them as holy, that they have some special standing before God. But here is what, so, so think about that, but then I want you to, to think about this. Paul calls the whole church saints. He calls, in fact, in many of his letters, he says, he says to the saints in this place or in that place. And saints means holy ones. So 
Nobody, I'm sure, maybe very few of us, actually I do know some very godly people here, most of us would not stand up to any of those steps. The investigation, the interviews, all of that stuff. We know before God we are not holy. So why does Paul tell these people, you are holy? You know why? Because this is not a statement of how much or how little sin is in their life necessarily at any given point. He even calls the Corinthian church saints. These people were crazy. They were getting drunk during the service. They were sleeping around. They were suing one another. And Paul greets them as saints. So why does he do this? He is saying that their status and identity in Christ is not based on what they have done, but what Christ has done. Okay? So... That makes all the difference in how the Lord sees us because the Lord no longer sees us as people who walk in as screw-ups but as saints. Now, this, this is just something that may be painful, but I, I, if you can go through this exercise with me, do it. Think back to what you consider your greatest sins to be. And if you gave yourself a label based on that sin, based on what you've done, what would it be? Would it be liar, murderer in your heart, adulterer, cheater, lousy father, angry daughter, idolater? These are the labels that that would hang over our heads. When we walked into a room, we'd be followed by that. Because the Lord sees our life, and He knows when we walk into a room the labels that sit over us. So imagine yourself on one end, but imagine on the other end is Jesus. And the label over Him is holy. The label over him is saint because he never sinned. He never messed up. He never murdered anyone in his heart. He never lied or cheated. He wasn't a bad son. He wasn't a bad friend. He didn't abandon anybody. He didn't break anyone's heart. And so see now Jesus walking over to you and pulling those labels off of you. Adulterer, God-hater, liar, and putting them on himself and going away and bearing the penalty for those labels. And then see him return. Put his arm around you and say, I've borne the wrath of God so that you could wear this. And he hands you the label, saint. He hands you the label, holy. He hands you the label righteous. And so when you walk in the room now and God sees you from heaven, he sees a saint. Not somebody defined by their sin, but if you put your trust in Christ, he sees you as a saint. And so I want you to personalize this. Imagine this letter is written to you, that that God writes this letter to you, and he says to you, Ricky, a saint in Christ. To you, Raul, a saint in Christ. To you, Karen, a saint in Christ. To you, Bill, a saint in Christ. Every person who has put their faith in Christ has been transformed at the core of who they are. And when this happens, it changes everything. 
See, imagine the girl or guy who must date people like crazy and sleep around because they only feel valuable if they're being pursued by somebody. And they, they want this label, desirable, wanted, loved. And, and imagine what would happen if that person could grasp the truth that they don't need those labels because in Christ they have a label. Think of the businessman who wants to kill himself after he goes bankrupt. And he, all he sees day to day when he wakes up is failure. I'm a failure at business. Failure at business. Failure at business. Imagine what would happen to him if, if he allowed the Lord to remove that label and say, son, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. Whatever happens with your business, whatever happens with your career, you can rest in this. Imagine if we went to the store and we stopped thinking, man, I got to get this thing so that I have a cool label or a trendy label or a suave label or at least not a loser label and said, you know what? It's okay. I'm a saint. Now, these last two points are very, very brief because we're going to spend the rest of Ephesians unpacking this. But, but all of that was Jesus reshapes our identity. And we're going to be looking at that for the next few weeks. But very briefly, Jesus also reshapes our worship. So when he reshapes our identity, he reshapes our worship. Verse 3 in Ephesians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He begins with praising God. And, and chapters 1 through 3 are kind of a section. They're, they're, they're about who we are in Jesus. And it starts with praise and then it ends in chapter 3, verse 20 with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, when Paul launches into talking about who we are in Christ, the effect is worship. And when he finishes talking about what the work of Christ has done for us, he, the effect is worship. And then as we worship God, our identity is changed. As we worship, who we are changes and who we are changes what we do. And then third, Jesus reshapes our lives. And so chapters one through three all about, are all about who we are in Jesus. And then chapters four to the end are about what that means in our personal life. So chapter four, verse one, it says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, look, you, you are in Christ now. You're in Christ, and so I'm urging you, according to the rest of the stuff that I say, to walk worthy of that calling. Now, the tension, obviously, is that we, we are in Christ in terms of our status before God. Before God, everything is changed. We're justified, redeemed, reconciled, adopted. We have the Spirit in our hearts. But there's more work to do in our identity, isn't there? We're changed in Christ, but we're still changing in Christ. We're like uh, a prince who was, 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 was lost for many years, maybe uh, abandoned on the road somehow, where somebody kidnapped him. He grew up as a peasant, and his father, the king, finds him and brings him to the palace. His status has been changed from peasant to prince, but he doesn't know anything about living like a prince. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. First, chapters one through three is about who we are in Jesus, and four through six is about, now, how do you live like that? But it's all in light of who we are in chapters one through three. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Who am I? 
It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio. 